influencers. Let's get bouge. Listen to Abe Thompson for an hour. I'd rather fuck a blood relative. It's Abe Thompson. Ladies and gents, welcome to A. Thompson and Other Disappointments. It's Friday night. It's half past seven. You're very welcome here. Uh, if it's your first time listening, this is your twice, sometimes thrice weekly delve into the worlds of politics, news, dystopia, shit, and more shit. Uh, if it's your first time listening, the vibe of the show is very much that the uh, you know the world is fucked. Uh, if we're not having our very existence threatened by new variants in a pandemic... We are being warned that, you know, we're only about three to five years away from having gone past the point of no return with fossil fuels causing irreparable climate change and either, you know, flooding us or cooking us alive. Nuclear war is on the horizon. That is a very real possibility. Oh, and if the fossil fuels do run out and we conveniently uh, escape the carbon fueled climate meltdown, well, then society as you know it is over. Then we're really fucked. And where some entertainers and comedians, you know, they might set out to uplift your mood with their content, generate some laughs, you know, improve your sensibilities, please you, if you will. My niche, this show, my vibe is very much forcing you to look at all of that shit that I just went through. So you're just as depressive about it all as I am. And then we get that, you know, misery loves company thing, that gallows humor, that doom lols thing going on and then you mistake it for a good time that's the usp of this show some people try and cheer cheer you up with their content i'm like the sort of um i'm like the podcast equivalent of like holding back your eyelids to force you to look at the awfulness like the shit was bird box or something i'm like you know everything is fucked now drink with me that's the vibe of this show if it's your first time joining us now listen if you are a regular listener you will know this stuff already but if it's your first time tuning in we're picking up new listeners all the time um but wednesday i usually do a solo show right that's where i try to make sense of the senseless i rail and rant about the state of the world while on friday night like tonight i usually have a guest in and tonight i am very excited to be joined by a fellow podcaster Uh, But he's also a published author uh, of the book Brexit, the Establishment Civil War. I guested on his show a few months ago. Uh, I thought we had a really interesting chat about uh, everything from cashless societies to Brexit to the impotence of the modern Labour Party. And tonight, we, dear listeners, Binfluencers, people of the booge, we are repaying the favour. Uh, so please welcome to the show my guest this evening. You guys are going to love him. He's host of uh, the Chatter podcast, which you can find on the GIST uh, website. Uh, he's equal parts insightful and charming. Please welcome to the show, Josh Hamilton. Woo! Josh, how you doing? I'm good, man. Thanks for thanks for the beautiful intro. Well, you're very welcome. You've earned it, pal. Um, how's <laughs> how's your week been? Uh, good, actually, pretty good. Very busy. Very, very busy. Mm. Um, got got a lot of fun things lined up for my own podcast. So okay, I'm very much head down in that making clips. Do you want to more clips? Do you want to like give people YouTube shorts? Yeah, it's it's endless, isn't it? It's tedious yeah. as well. Like, do you want to give people a bit of an intro about your your show about like sort of your vibe where you're coming from? Mm. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so my show is me interviewing people one on one. Uh, sometimes on Zoom, sometimes in person, trying to get a studio together and do all of them in person, but that's a slow build. Yeah. Um, basically, I thought that the UK had a beautiful gaping hole in um, its media and podcast offerings in that um, no one was stupid enough to talk to everyone from really serious professors to absolute like star graven lunatics yeah and i felt like that could totally be my niche oh um which, which did I, I mean i'm not an academic so do i fall into the latter or <laughs> well you're probably the everything in between okay good recovery yeah um okay can, can we touch on some of the lunatics are you allowed to name and yeah, shame yeah 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 i mean i've well i mean i don't even think that 
I think most of them aren't lunatics, mm. but they would be portrayed as being crazy. And I find that the, the longer you sit down and talk to people who are portrayed as crazy by clickbaity headlines, the, the more reasonable they start to seem, or at least even if they're, their ideas for how the world might improve mm. may, may not be what you would believe. Mostly everyone's after the same thing, which is like peace, happiness and prosperity. Yeah. And, and a shot, just just a chance to change your situation, I think, is a real common thread for a lot of people. And you're right. Like, I, I, I mean, I've spoken to a few academics and a few journalists and a couple of people who sit on the other side of the political fence to me. And I think you'd be surprised how well you can get along with people, how how much of a decent um, transactional conversation most people could have with somebody that they would think they would disagree with, you know? Yeah, no, hundred percent. So that that's that's what I find through through doing the podcast. Mm. Well, three hundred and twenty four episodes. Fuck. So like, yeah. So I've you're I've spoken to people. Yeah, I've spoken to people who are crazy and have wild ideas in every direction on the political spectrum, and it's really entertaining mm. um, to give to, to basically just sort of let them have the space to explain why they think this. Yeah, because that's the fascinating bit about it. It's like you can you can you can listen to someone say something really insane and then be like, right, okay, why? Yeah, yeah. And then they have to explain themselves, and either they come out with something that you're totally not expecting, yeah, or their their answer just doesn't stand up and they fall to pieces, and then you've learned even more. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I mean, so it sounded at the beginning of this this conversation as though you were going to say, you know, sometimes you think that you you're going to disagree with people, and then you, when you actually sit down and listen to them in a calm environment where you're not, you know bombarded with these caricatures and quotes that are taken out of context that mm. that you can kind of see where they're coming from but then oh, yeah <laughs> i still disagree with people all the time yeah i i just yeah. thought it was funny because then it sounded like you like you led me up the garden path a bit there and then you were like oh but sometimes they're just you know <laughs> sometimes they you give them like rope to hang themselves with and they're like oh wow no you are a loony okay cool yeah um, yeah well i mean yeah, you can tell as soon as people's like basic ideas start falling apart under like three basic questions. Yeah, then you just they you can tell that they haven't thought about it, and then people tend to get like a bit like angry, defensive, or like yeah, defensive. Which is which is always fun because I can just sit there and be like, "This is fine. This is my show." Yeah, like I could like if you come across as a dick, I get all the marketing, like you know, hate clicks, outrage. Yeah, I'm just sitting there being like, "Come on." Be controversial. Mm. Say something that I can get to go viral, please. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's the dream, isn't it? Like, just, just like, like, come on and just say you want to shoot the boats. Yeah, like just say you want to hit them with snipers. But then, do you know on. what? Like, so I agree. I, I think it is. <laughs> it is like obviously there is uh, there's collateral to having a clip like that. But then I kind of hate that that's true. Also, like I think there's enough stuff out there that is incredibly reliant on having like a spicy debate or saying something controversial and it's kind of that feels like that's half the fucking problem now is that anyone that mm. says something slightly controversial will immediately be amplified like i was i was talking to my girlfriend uh last week about this i was like how fucking wild is it that as like i, I don't really do stand up anymore but like coming from that world I was like, how wild is it that you could you can fight and you can gig and you can just take like you could expend 15 years of your life trying, just desperately trying to make it as a stand up and never get any coverage in any newspaper. And yeah, I was like, how wild is it if you were a stand up comedian, a white guy and you put on a show at the Edinburgh Fringe and the title of the show was like the N word, right? It would fucking sell out. It would be in every newspaper. Everyone would be talking about how controversial it is. Like it would be, I, like so. It, you can get to the thing that you're after, but you've just got to decide how outrageous and awful do you want to be. And I feel like that's the the weight thing with a lot of like news and podcasts and you know content yeah. and yeah. I mean, I've thought about it because like because you know. You know some of those podcasts, like the like the whatever podcast or Fresh and Fit or mm. or that girl, just pearly things, like all these. They have mastered the algorithm. 
they are fucking brilliant at like creating clickbaity t- clickbaity titles mm. but they're all like most of them would be like this stupid idiot says this and i've looked at them and like been like right okay so they've they've been like really successful marketing their clips like what can i learn from what they've done right and i'll look at it and be like oh, I don't want to insult my guests on yeah, the t- yeah. clip titles. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like if I had like a really nice conversation with someone, but disagreed with them. And at the end, like a week later, they look on my, ch- on my channel and the, the, the title's like, you'll never believe what this idiot says. And yeah, it's like, yeah. they're not going to want to come back on the show. <laughs> yeah. It's like a, I mean, I, I would also feel like as well as in like worrying that you were insulting your guests, I think you sort of sell your audience short. Like, I, I really feel like there's this idea with, especially with YouTube, um, that everyone that watches it is just a fucking idiot moth going towards the flame. So like, oh, my God, like this guy destroys that. Guy. Well, I have to watch that. I feel like there's this whole other market of people like like you, like me, like, you know, whoever else, people that we interact with socially who use YouTube as like, you know, a half credible academic research that and we're, we're genuinely flicking through to see you know a table discussion about mm. institutional racism or whatever um we don't i don't want to see all the thumbnails of like somebody going oh like shocked and explosions in the background and you know over ramped shit constantly yeah like a one minute 20 video be like professor completely debunks critical theory and it's yeah. like in a minute and 20 seconds like, yeah <laughs> he's a fast operator that guy um Anyway, yeah, so it's uh it's I don't know, it's a funny world, isn't it? Podcasting. It feels like the new the new of the new media or newest of the new media. Which is funny because it's been around like ten years at this yeah. point. Eleven years, something like that. Um, did you did you do another podcast before you did chatter, like years before? I'm just curious. No, no, no I just it it's been running for like about five or six years, like on and off. Because mm. I used to I used to run this bar in Austria during the winter, so I'd do that for five months straight. And then take seven months off and write and do do podcasts. Yeah. Which was lovely. I wish I could still do that. Yeah. That sounds like a pretty good life, to be fair. It was. It was till yeah, well, COVID COVID stopped to that, <laughs> unfortunately. It was the most wonderful setup until there was no bar. I mean, in some ways, that's really the greatest tragedy of COVID, I guess. Is I your... I I would personally agree. Yeah. Uh, um let's talk can't a bit think of anything worse. Let's talk a bit about uh, about politics, because one of the things that you and I touched on on your show was the I don't want to say shortcomings of the modern Labour Party, because it that sort of insinuates that they have been in power, that they've fallen short in what they've been able to achieve politically. But in, in some ways, it is kind of an accurate way, like, because people associate Labour with representing the workers' movements and representing social justice and progressive sensibilities and stuff. And I remember on our chat on your show, we I, I feel like we both agreed that they just don't do enough for just like just regular working people. I'm not even talking about, you know, the sons and daughters of people who used to work down the mines, like that kind of labor movement. (laughs) I literally mean just regular motherfuckers out there who were just Mm. getting in their car, going and working in the call center, coming back home, struggling to make ends meet. Meanwhile, labor seem, I don't know, sort of caught between this like quote unquote, like woke space. They get a lot of flack for that, but also they get, castigated for being like tories with red ties right yeah um somewhere in in between those those two places is where labor that's the space that labor have inhabited um i'm curious to see like what what do you think they are likely to be able to achieve if and when they get into power because that's going to be the pivot point right and yeah you sounded frustrated with them when you and i were chatting you were like i just want them to fucking you know help actual people's situations instead of banging on about things like this stuff is nonsense that stuff doesn't matter focus on what is actually affecting people and i agree like so when they get into power this is a really long question i'm so sorry uh (laughs) when they get into power what would you like to see them actually do um it's all right i'm I'm also i totally ask super long questions all the time Mm. um what would i like to see them do um the 2017 Labour manifesto in as close as is possible. 
Right. That is the 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 best. Like, because I can give you lots of specific examples about things that I would personally want or things that like, but but that is the most comprehensive like document that I have ever seen that came close to addressing what I see to be quite a lot of the systemic issues within the United Kingdom. Mm -hmm. Now, people could say that like it's a little bit too like it gives the state a little bit too much power in some areas but ultimately all those places where where they had where we're saying okay you know you, the state shouldn't be involved in energy water public transport any of these things it's like we're already paying for it yeah right? and the only difference is that the money gets farmed off to offshore corporations money gets like fucking siphoned and funneled off along the way to the lawyers to the accountants into the tax havens and then into some fucking through like a billion different um like uh shell corporations and eventually to some like subsidiary of like <laughs> circo that will provide the shittiest version of whatever public service that you could possibly provide with zero hour contracts no benefits to um like the employees that they're milking until they can find someone stupid enough or poor enough to do it even cheaper. Yeah. And ultimately like it's, it's, it's like a systemic rot where we've just allowed like corporate capital to inhabit all of these government like services and institutions. And the 2017 labor manifesto went some way to attempting to remove that massive, massive, massive parasite mm. upon the state um and so that that's like if you want like a broad answer like that's what i would say it's a really important point to, to nail home isn't it that the state still picks up the tab even when you privatize these things and it like it's not necessarily it like sometimes it's in an immediate sense in that you'll have privatized uh formerly public so like a train line for example used to be publicly owned it was uh, funded by taxpayers and then somebody it probably in a tory government was like Do you know what let's privatize this we'll give it to our mates um and you think okay privatize so that takes some weight off the taxpayer we don't have to fund it anymore well no like you're not completely off the hook there we're still subsidizing like a lot of that there's still loads of tax money that's going into running rail right it's kind of the similar thing with with the nhs as well like you know they'll privatize a lot of it but they're never they'll always be tax money funneled into it rightly or wrongly and i think then less immediate is this thing that you're alluding to which is a really important thing to to expose people to is that if you make the general public suffer through lower wages because you privatized the thing and now that company have to pay shareholders they have to make a profit um they have to pay their staff less well now those the staff members who are earning less maybe now they're pushed into a bracket where they have to get universal credit maybe now they're pushed into a bracket so the state are then having to come to the rescue of these people you're not really saving any fucking money you're actually just increasing poverty right mm, yeah and like the 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 other key thing is this is this the, the financialization of like the entire um like corporate architecture that that you're farming all of these things out to is is through because they're all set up up as like tax haven based entities yeah. where things funnel through a million different sh shells in order to get the most tax benefit but every time you jump through all these hoops like accountants lawyers um like trust holders they're all taking their little fees yeah and that's just like funneling it offshore and then phew, gone never to be seen again mm. and instead of that money just going straight from the the taxpayer's purse to a government funded like whatever however you want to call it like a like a like a government run or a government owned privately run corporation um which is the, which is like how a lot of these things used to be set up so it was like government owned um money went back into the thing or returned to the taxpayer mm. and and then people had stable jobs and you know if the service was was shit because like the local government was doing a bad job of running it mm. do you know what you could do you could fucking vote them out and be like <laughs> sort this shit out like instead of just like endlessly praying that whatever iteration of the neoliberal cunts that have been inhabiting the uh, like the the number 10 dining street since 1979 just to 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 pray that they might not completely trash like uh, everything about the, the the ordinary people's lives of the country for the profit of the very very rich and and that's 
that's ultimately what has happened. And I just mm. would love that not to be the case for, for even like five years. Just just let us see what it might look like. I'd just like to see somebody make the case clearly, coherently, in, you know, on Question Time, Newsnight, I don't give a fuck, like at the dispatch box, wherever. Somebody to just communicate this in a way that is consumable by the masses and it actually gets picked up and, and understood is that... If you have monopoly services, like a, but a I local think the hospital, knows this is what I would say. Because, like, if you look at like all the YouGov polling that's been mm. done um, on attitudes towards um, nationalisation, like there is over over majority support for um, like water, um, energy, healthcare, um, mm. public transport, um, and post. Like all of them have more than fifty percent support. Yeah, easy, done. Like it's not, it's not, it's not something that the the public is like needs to be convinced about. Unfortunately, mm. it's it's what happens is like a political party feigns that they're going to sort these problems out. Mm. You know, they tap into whatever like the the the, the public's desire to have because like I think people inherently know that that's just like ultimately going to be at least a more secure and like beneficial service for the local community even like say say in cases where there's like privately run things that that work wonderfully there are hundreds of them um like a lot of healthcare in europe is like is privately run in a, in a way that that works beautifully but like it's it's fine you can have those but like if you want stability and mm. something where you can have like direct influence and accountability for the people who are meant to be running it mm. like i don't see how that is is ever like a worse idea in a situation where there is no competition to to like drive people's desire to be better mm. you know in all of those things it's something where it's almost impossible to have direct competition in the way that a free market can work mm. free market's awesome for a lot of stuff but it's not always perfect and the stability provided to those things would 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 be amazing and i guarantee it would secure a lot more jobs and allow people to have better bargaining power mm. yeah yeah you're right i mean but it, but it, like there's also this idea that or, or rather the defense that always gets wheeled out by tories is like look it's not the state's business to run x you know the state shouldn't be getting involved in running railways and and so on i'm always like i don't know if that really stacks up when you're a big government conservative party like they have no issue with like stepping in where the state actually has no business stepping in normally um and also there's this idea that like like people will hark back to the day you know the 70s or the 80s when british rail was literally british rail um mm. and it it faltered it was it didn't have the great reputation uh, or they'll say, oh, you, have you ever tried queuing up at your local town hall to pay a parking ticket? Is, or you've tried to phone up. But, uh, I'm always like, yeah, because you motherfuckers, like you you defund or you underfund these public services so that they falter. They are suboptimal. And then that gives you the recourse when somebody says, oh, how come it's not working? Oh, well, because it's publicly funded. You know, if you want a decent service, that's something that the private sector does better. It's like we need to find a way to to... I mean, you say that a lot of people understand this already. You you could be right, but I feel like we need to market that in a way where that is the dominant narrative that's getting waterboarded <laughs> yeah. to people. But like, do you know what the problem is, right? Okay, so what happened? Because I had this fucking argument with Gemma Gemma Forte from from the troll like mm. two weeks ago, and and she and, was wait, like, wait, oh, wait, wait, just... wait. did you did you cut it and edit it and call her an idiot or like? Uh, no, no, sadly not. Good, um, good. No. We love Gemma. Carry on. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so we had this argument, like, and she was like, she said, "Oh, we all, all we need is labor with a with you know the right leader." And I was like, "We had the guy with all the the one that said all the things. He 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 laid it out. He created this manifesto that I think is probably like the best estimation of of what Britain could really benefit from." Mm. And what did they do? The press destroyed the man's reputation and even then he still continued do you know the things that i honestly believe stopped him getting over the line was the fucking cunts and his own party undermining him right and the four report proved proved that they were doing it they were undermining him because they didn't want him in power mm. that's within his own within did his they own not, party 
did they not read uh, sorry did they not want him in power or did they not mm-hmm. think he was capable of winning power so they wanted to oust him because that's well, two different either, i mean either way you don't like in the middle of an election cycle you don't just start sabotaging yourself from the inside no no i agree that's, yeah. that's a horrendous idea yeah and like and they all publicly were like you know let's get on board and then the ta- the table started to turn mm. like, like they were surging in the polls when Theresa may was like they should you know the labor MPs should have smelled blood and been like right yes but you know what the problem is they do not give a fuck about about what Jeremy Corbyn stood for or the people of this country, mm. right? The ones that decided that him not getting into power was a bigger, was more important to them than the idea that, you know, someone might have some great ideas about how to make the country just a little more prosperous for the ordinary person on the street. And they were just like, well, no, we'd rather we we have we have our stupid little infight here. Mm. We are gonna sabotage this. Okay, so let me just interject there for a second. So I in in principle I agree. I think firstly that manifesto was fucking great. And I think that was evidenced by every time they went out on the street and they did Vox Pops or if you checked YouGov or whatever, the polling for each one of those policies in the manifesto was so fucking strong. People were like, yeah, I like that. That Yes, that makes sense. You know, things like nationalisation, things like, uh, was it 2017 was the free Wi-Fi policy? I can't remember now. There was a national education service they were talking about to increase social mobility, social housing built, like everything within that manifesto was a fucking win with people Mm -hmm. now here's where maybe you and i diverge somewhat so i accept that there were probably people within his own party that were working against him i think that was probably rooted in a uh i don't know a battle for the soul of the like you know former blairites who felt like the party should be a little bit more like that and they felt like corbyn was a threat to that to -hmm. them so there's a tribal element possibly i also think maybe they doubted that he could win the election and actually it was better to get rid of him and then get a quote-unquote real leader in i think well yeah but i mean what's the problem what's the problem with let's give it all we got because mm. okay if you're because so... if, if you're right because if you're a labor mp mm. okay you're meant to care yes right yeah. you're meant to actually give a fuck okay that's what they tell us yeah right and if you genuinely care and you look at the, the the other option, right? More of the Tories. Yes, agree. More bullshit state-sponsored corporatism where, like, the taxpayer is just being milked mm. while, like, friends and donors of the Conservative Party line their fucking pockets. Yeah, right? yeah. If you look at that and you go, do you know what's more important here mm. is my little infight, this little bullshit thing that I have about Corbyn and, you know, the Blairite, you know, fucking Corbynite thing. If that, that, that is to me more important than after 40 years of like the British taxpayer being like slowly fucked. Mm. Instead of that, we're, we're going to have our little fight. And instead of trying to, you know, maybe we're going to have, we're going to get into par. Mm maybe we can do something about this so and then we can have our little infight no 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 their little infight was more important than the people they're meant to represent i yeah. that's what it says to me so i i i accept that that's and i think that it, like equally i find that just as disgusting then as i find it now when people from you know what is perceived to be the far left of labor now working against the Labour leader to keep Labour out of power at the mm-hmm. forthcoming election. Mm-hmm. Um, I like I do believe that that sort of guiding principle of getting power, attaining power, so you can actually affect change. That's where that that should be your foundation before you start getting into any tribal arguments and bullshit. However, the thing I was going to say was, and and I, this is coming from a really good place. I'm just genuinely curious to hear mm-hmm. what your sense is of this. Do you think Corbyn and Team Corbyn bear any responsibility for the failure of that election and specifically around? So you mentioned the mauling that he got by the media. Mm-hmm. Is there not a case to be made that a good leader or what we understand to be a good leader would be able to unite that party, handle that criticism? I mean, the, look, the, the papers are not working for Keir Starmer now 
but he's still maintaining this 29-point lead, right? Mm -hmm. So if the right-wing papers don't want a Labour leader, they don't like Starmer, but they also didn't like Corbyn, Mm. is there not a case to be made that this is actually down to his inability to lead? Yeah, okay, so Jeremy Corbyn and the Corbyn campaign um, definitely made, like, tactically, politically, many mistakes. Mm. Like, um, I think think it was a mistake, unfortunately, to have his friend... um, Diane Abbott in the cabinet. Mm. True, true, way too much criticism. She should have just said he should have been honest with her and been like, I'm sorry. You know, even if he genuinely believed that she would be fantastic at the job, I'm sure he did. And I'm sure there's many people who do. Yeah. Liability. Shouldn't have, she shouldn't have been part of it. like that. That was a huge point where they, they got on where he could have just, that could have sidestepped up, would have been no need for it. Um, they handled the IRA thing really badly because mm. um, he consistently said, I condemn all vi- all paramilitary violence and all violence. And I was like, I do agree, 100%. Mm. That's the line. But you, all you got to do first is say, yeah, I condemn the IRA violence and I condemn and I condemn all paramilitary violence. Mm. And then you would have shut down the argument. You, you would have just like the, the, the whole, you know, Corbyn con- refuses to condemn IRA he- violence. I have no idea how many times I saw that headline. Yeah. Right? Yeah. All he had to do was like, I condemn all IRA violence mm. and all paramilitary violence. Mm. You, you know, there's, there was loads of mistakes like that, really critical little things that you could have just, you go, look, just, you're not compromising your principles and saying that, man. That's yeah. just, the, just, it's just the way you've said it. It's, there's nothing about that that is not exactly the same as I condemn all violence. Mm. All you're doing is answering their question and being specific about it in order to stop their stupid question. You know, because it's awful journalism, but like, you've got to fucking yeah. expect, you got to expect that. Do you know what I mean? So, so do like, you though? I, I, do you like see what, the his, awful journalism? Well, oh, here's, well I mean, here's where I get really like utopian and sort of you know fantasist about it. But like, so you know, I'm asking you what <laughs> what you think realistically could be implemented and achieved with the Labour government without you know devaluing the currency and spooking the markets. Because yeah. clearly, if you start writing checks for money that we don't have in the treasury, like, you know, 30 billion for this, 50 billion for that, people are going to get spooked in the same way that they were with the trust and the Quartang shit. So there is a limit to what they can do. Um, yeah, but they but- haven't been spooked. Like, like what, what was the fucking, what was the national debt? I'm going to Google this. What was the national debt in 2010? Oh, I'm sure it's less than it is now. Yeah. Um, Not less. It is like orders of magnitude less. Yeah. Like it's, 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 it's insane. Yeah. Um, but I just mean, like, if, if Labour, if and when Labour get in, or it's like a Labour-led government, and they start saying free Wi-Fi, free national education service, and all of these things have a price tag, right? So it's $6 billion here, $10 billion there. Are we going to get into a situation where investors are going to go, right, the UK is spending a lot of money. It's, it doesn't really stack up, so I'm going to sell my bonds. And all of those bonds are linked to UK pensions. And then the pension sector starts to wobble again. We're back in the same situation we were in October. So it's like there is a limit. We have to accept there's a limit of what they can implement. Yeah. And here we are talking about what was great in 2017. I'm like, yeah, I agree. All of that was great. But what can, what what would you actually like? Or what can you expect to see? Um. <clears throat> What can we expect to see? Yeah. I, I, oh, those are two very, 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 very different things. Just as a, a record, um, the, the the national debt is uh, currently two point three trillion, which is about a hundred percent of GDP. Mm-hmm. Um, when the Conservatives took over, it was down at less than forty percent of GDP. Yeah. So, um, and and given that GDP has grown in that in that period, that's it's basically more than doubled. Yeah. So of um, all and, the money that we get coming into the UK every year, yeah. UK PLC, the debt that we're currently saddled with. <laughs> is... yeah, every every single penny that is created <laughs> in value through the entire UK in one year, we have that in debt. Yeah. Oh, um, and round yeah, of applause right. for the party of fiscal responsibility, everyone. Yeah, Woo! Yeah. And this, we will get more of this with Keir Starmer. This is this is what I kept repeating to Gemma. And I it, like, you know, if it comes down to it, and it really, I get into the voting box, and my two options are have more Tories or stick with a a, a Labour um, MP. I'll go, I'll go Labour. I'll do mm. it, you know. But but they they they're gonna give us a, a just a, a light brand mm. of 
of the same shit that we've had. It's, but here it's we not, are. That's what I'm saying. Because like we've watched him roll, roll back every single promise. I agree. But his... we've watched him now go on to talk about how, you know, we need privatization in the NHS. Well, yeah, because like here's the disconnect that I'm not really understanding here. So you want to see uh, meaningful change. You want to see mm -hmm. policies that are implemented, each of which we understand that there's a price tag. Mm -hmm. But we're also saying that the debt is so high yeah. <laughs> yeah. that we're criticizing that he won't have the ability to actually implement anything. Yeah, well, no, my point, my point about the debt is like, right, okay, so for the past 13 years, all of the, the all of the money that we have created mm. has just disappeared into the, the assets and bank accounts of the richest people in the country. Right. Right. That's basically where all the new wealth creation has gone since 2008. Right. And if that is a, an acceptable use of this money, why the fuck is building hospitals, right? How is that not enough? Because, because do you know what happens when you go and go, right, okay, so we're going to hire some local construction crews to go and build this new hospital. Do you know what happens? The money goes into their pockets and then they go out into the local economy and spend it instead mm. of, you know, oh, right, well, you know, we need, let's pump another, you know, Let's pump another couple, you know, 10, 20 billion into the into the market through quantitative easing. And do you know where that goes? That goes straight into the asset prices of the top like one percent of people. Mm. That pumps up their fucking asset values and the money just sits there at the top. Yeah. Right. Instead, you know, the thing that the radical, brilliant, like seemingly very obvious thing that Jeremy Corbyn and John McDonnell um, proposed was to just take that money creation ability but spend it on stuff we need mm. like <laughs> yeah. and, and i you know you can and, and i don't see how it's irresponsible to suggest that because you know what we'll get if we continue down this path is is just more debt creation but for not no value for the people in you know who, who are fucking like working and paying the tax mm. instead i would like us to try yeah this radical different approach where we spend the money on stuff we need yeah you know? <laughs> i mean i agree i agree um i just can't see these policies getting implemented uh certainly not and, and sort of to bring it back to to where i was saying you know this is where i get a bit fantastical a bit utopian about things mm -hmm. it's like i can't see those kinds of policies that manifesto from 2017 getting uh rolled out until bit of a curveball here bit bit of a segue until we get meaningful press reg regulation right mm. because it was and i'm not disagreeing with you that around that ge that the press played a hugely significant part in swinging that election mm. and we both know that the press in the uk is horrendously biased that it's so rooted in newspaper culture tabloid culture and the majority of those newspapers are right wing um so until that gets sorted and still until there's some sort of penalty for newspapers publishing opinion as a front page headline, for example, as though it's fact, like your, your mate will walk past the 24 hour garage, glance across the mail, the sun, the telegraph, the express, all of these dominant right, uh, right wing newspapers. And they'll all have they'll all have like a, a great big black and white bold headline saying like, loser corbyn says this or like now starmer like fury erupted last night it's like no guys come on this is not this is not the news we need to this has to be regulated so i'd like to see that happen and then maybe after that we could have a meaningful I conversation just, i wouldn't i wouldn't go it i wouldn't go as far as saying they can't print opinion as headlines really i don't know i just that's for me that's like a that becomes like a slippery slope I don't like I, I'm very, very anti regulation of things people say um or can say or write. Opinion um, though. It's like even a, that like even we know that. it's what I would say what I would say is that the way like what you could do is you could um find them for demonstrable false falsehoods. Mm. Find them a lot more. Um that's that's the way I think you would go with it. Because then they would then there would be there would be a requirement for more rigorous fact checking. And I would also say that the, probably one of the biggest things that you could do would be to, like, get the the BBC basically 
as far away from any government influence whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. Like any, like, like the government should not have a say over BBC funding. They shouldn't have a say over who gets employed there. Like, and I know that's kind of what it's like at the moment, but it's clearly not how it works. No. You know, like a more independent BBC would, I think, probably go quite a long way towards raising the the editorial and you know new standards of the country mm. um but i think you have to let people say whatever stupid wild shit they want to say i <laughs> see i i half agree with you i i feel like okay so with the bbc stuff yes i agree i feel like that should be managed run funded by some sort of independent council yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, because the BBC used to be more independent, yeah, and they used to be less scared of criticizing the government. And that's when you talked about, like, obviously there were still times when they were fucking pulling the, the you know, the establishment line, mm-hmm. obviously. And then there was, you know, MI5, MI6 had like a, a concerted campaign to make sure no left wing journalists got anywhere near the top echelons of the BBC for like fifty years. Um, <laughs> what? That's real. Really? Yeah, no, that's real. That's real. Like you can look that up. Like. <laughs> um, <laughs> See, this is why uh, I wanted you on, Josh. I was like, he's, he's going to tell me, he's going to educate me. Uh, that's amazing. Mm. I'll, uh, did you read that? Is that in a book somewhere? Or is that is there blogs about it? I'm pretty sure it was a BBC article. Fucking hell. Um, mm. There you go, guys, dear listeners. Um, yeah, they used to get like a file and they'd get like a, a stamp on their file that said like communist or something like that. Yeah. Um, Okay, so uh, here it is. Evolve politics. The BBC worked directly with MI5 to bar left-wing journalists and prevent a left-wing British government. When was this? April 2018, this came out. Fucking hell. Wait, hang on. So was the expose then or was like were the events that they were talking about recent no the events they were talking about were from 1933 through till about the mid 90s when you said 2018 i was like oh no no (laughs) it wasn't still going on in 2018 (laughs) no we find out that it happened in 2018 god it's infuriating so when they said that they were uh, locking they were like enclosing or sealing uh, Prince Philip's will for 75 years. I was like, 75 years? What Wait, the fuck will? is in there? Yeah, like, nobody knows what's where he's left his money or who he's left, you know, 100 grand here to. Or, like, it just makes you think, like, like how many, you know, illegitimate children? Or, like, a couple, uh, couple, couple of mil to the Epstein. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, what are you hiding? Um. Okay, so so something else I, I wanted to ask you about was, um, and, you know, we were touching on, uh, you know, quantitative easing, printing money, devaluing the currency and uh, spending money that, that we don't have. And obviously all of this ripple effects out into things like the housing crisis. And I'll just very quickly touch on the context of that for any listeners that are unaware as to like why that affects things. Um, so if a government print a shit ton of money that money that currency becomes worth less and so if you're a grandma or a re- somebody's retired father and you've got 300 grand sitting in your bank account that you've you know your life savings your pension that you've managed to withdraw a shit ton out of and you're looking for an investment and bonds which used to be a sort of you know relatively safe if lower interest investment to get a return of every year if bonds are paying fuck all which they were you know over the last 15 years you might start to look at maybe buying up a one bed flat or a two bed flat or a masonette or something to then rent out and so that has this ripple effect more houses getting bought up fewer houses for people to get on the ladder with etc etc plus the money that you save as a young person thinking that you're going to get on the ladder gradually every six months every year every couple of years the money you saved that sat in the savings account is worth less and less and less so Given that, that's the situation in the UK, Josh. Trying to keep these questions short, man. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. Uh, Given that that's the situation in the UK, there's this sort of domestic uh, GB-centric thing in my head where I'm like, okay, look, the UK's fucked. But not everywhere in the world is the UK. (laughs) So there must be somewhere else out there. I mean, yes, we've got Brexit. You know, we're trying to juggle that. We're trying to fix that. We're trying to find our place in the world after the empire and the colonies and stuff. But there must be somewhere out there that there isn't a housing crisis, crippling inflation, 
you know, somewhere that isn't struggling to meet net zero and that's having its own impact. And the re- like, where can we move to, Josh? Why is every fucking country out there? I was looking at Australia. I was looking at New Zealand. I was looking at America. Everywhere's got inflation. Yeah, Everywhere's yeah, yeah. suffering from housing challenges. Yes. What's like, where, where do I move to, well, Josh? Well, I mean, I, the, the, I would say this is the result of 40 years of neoliberalism. Right. Um, because unfortunately, that's the the uh, the fiscal and political ideology that's been exported from from the Chicago boys in America since the '60s. Basically, um, it finally took hold uh, around 1980 mm. and has been destroying global economy, the global economy ever since. And can we um, can we just sort of break down neoliberalism a little bit? Because yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, um, so. I was about to say I don't know how many of my listeners were, but actually, the honest truth is, I'm like I don't I don't know. That's <laughs> fair. So yeah, um, shoot. Okay, so so basically, um, in 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 a very broad sense, uh, it can be defined by like three main tenets, which are basically um, massive deregulation, um, sale of all state assets, and um, privatization of as many public services as possible. Okay. Um, tax cuts for the rich maybe in there too um and in this weird um twist um what seems to have happened is that in order to still pretend like they care or like this ideology cares it's very much got wrapped up in like a very like cosmopolitan liberalism in the same way mm-hmm. um like you know it was cameron's um heavily ne- neoliberal conservative party that were the ones that you know legalized gay marriage for example in the uk mm. you know they've they've like dressed themselves up in the in the outfit of of tolerance and acceptance in order to get away with the horrendous financial rape of the country right um and and that's basically what i think keir starmer is doing too um so uh but so yeah it's essentially it's it's massive deregulation and privatization of everything possible. So it was like popularized mainly by by this guy Milton Fried, uh, Milton Friedman. Okay. Um, and his his theory was that like if you were to shock a country or an economy to a point where you could wipe everything away and create a blank slate with like zero regulation and the perfect perfect conditions that you could create the ultimate economy. Right. So um, disaster capitalists since about 1978 or nine, whenever he went in to consult for um, Pinochet in right. Chile, they have basically been pushing this the around the world. So every time you see a disaster, a war, um, a hurricane, um, uh, like any any uh, financial crash, you watch. And the the neoliberals will be there to carve up the carcass and this and figure out what else they're going to privatize. Like it happened um, when we had like the big economic crash, um, sort of end of the seventies. Thatcher came in and was like, "Okay, well, you know, we have to throw everything out." So you know, she went on a fire sale of state assets, started privatizing like fuck, deregulated the banks, which is ultimately what led to the two thousand eight crash. Mm. Um, then you got. Um, you know, Tony Blair came in in the mid nineties, did this next, like, Oh, you know, we've had Thatcher, but now we're going to make things better and started with all his PFI contracts that cost us billions, you know, started farming out things, the privatization, the NHS. Then you got to- the Tories 2010 come in and they're like, well, there's no money time to like, you know, we gotta, we gotta privatize some stuff. We gotta sit, make some savings. And then George Osborne like starts another fire sale that would make Margaret Thatcher blush. Like they saw like they sold off everything and then they sold off even the bits that were making the money. Like mm. they, they started this green investment bank in like 2011. Like it was one of the, the Lib Dems big flagship policies. They funded it. It was finally becoming a profitable like institution that the government could use to invest in like cool emergent technologies, like efficient, like um, efficient, like energy things, like renewables, all, all the sort of stuff, you know, you want. Right um, now. And do, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you know what they did in 2018? They sold it off to a, conglom- a conglomerate of banks, like just famous for asset stripping public services. Yeah. Um, and it's interesting. It's, like, so when, when you talk about this stuff, and it, it, as I say, I'm not coming from a position of strength or great knowledge about neoliberalism, but it's interesting that when you, we're, we're sort of pinballing from old, like Thatcherite conservatism to Blairite labor back mm-hmm. to cameron and mm-hmm. to a lot of people th- these would feel like 
opposites they would mm-hmm. feel like you know left to right and right back to left again but actually what yeah, you're suggesting is like in a rind inside this very yeah. narrow like like you just gotta imagine like like whereas okay maybe they disagree slightly on like where some of the funding should come from mm. or like just how much tax there should be but you know what they've all all decided not to do mm. close all the tax havens yeah you know like stop the people like just decided to offshore all their money do you know what they you know what they haven't done um you know tried to make life better for ordinary people like i mean you know blair did a lot of things that that helped like ordinary people but in the background he was still doing all the same stuff yeah like him him and gordon brown oversaw like for since from from 97 to 2007 are you telling me that there's no way that they could see that maybe some more regulation in the financial industry Mm. might have not been the worst idea seriously (laughs) telling me a man that's smart right gordon brown is incredibly intelligent operator you seriously telling me they didn't see problems coming or did they just not care because everyone was making so much money and stuffing their the party pockets with it yeah yeah i mean in that sense i that's my worry for when they get in power is that it will basically be the same and it like in some ways they are uh slaves of the same apparatus as the conservative party are because even when they're in power even when they're out of power they still they're so reliant on donations for funding that they will make deals with devils they will do you know what i mean like they will i would love to see that actually i'd love to see publicly funded elections Mm. based on and so like you're everyone like all political parties over the same size like get the same amount of like money to spend the same amount of like um tv ad space just given to them um and then maybe there could be a bonus for like if you have like for a number of members but then after that like all of the i think all of the passion that people have should come from like all of the 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 campaigning should be done on the street yeah like like it's 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 the strength of your idea is based on how many people you can get to knock on doors and have an actual conversation with someone Mm. that's where the main power should come from yeah do you think it will ever get to that though, or do you think it'll actually get worse, like sort of US style? Like I can totally see them diluting election rules so they're late. Yeah, well, they, yeah because the, well, they want to, they want to, they want to get rid of the electoral commission. Yeah, or they want to neuter it at least, make it not independent any longer. Um, yeah, I mean, I could see it going both ways. Um, they might, they might choose to do something and mm. and you know tr- make it more impotent or you know release reduce some of the the rules on like where the money can come from or like how it can be spent mm. um but equally i could i would i would hope maybe that if we ever get this fictional person who you know can push these ideas in an articulate um way that you know resonates with people that you know maybe it's not we're not we're not too far gone because as much as I, you know, I'm very aware of how fucked we are, I also like to hope that we're not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's maybe that's where we diverge uh, opinions again, is like, I I feel quite confident that like, we are fucked. Uh, what do you think the biggest reason we're fucked is? Uh, wow. I think center or central to my belief that we're fairly doomed is i have a a fairly strong belief that the people who are in power the people who actually have the ability to affect change to write the checks that we were alluding to earlier to implement the new processes and protocols that we actually all need to improve our lives and to to give ourselves that shot that i was talking about earlier uh those people i don't think they even believe that we are not fucked and i think they know that this is you know last hurrah this is they're all at the bar at the titanic and that their idea is to make deals with fracking companies make a quick sly billy on the side have it funneled out to a shell company which then reroutes it to another shell company and slowly but surely they amass a a pile of money buy an island fuck off just before the whole thing comes down that's honestly what i think is happening because i think if they like some of them are intelligent maybe not your scott bentons and your fucking mark francois but some (laughs) of them with their hands on the levers are smart people very well educated and i think they know what's happening and if they thought they could save it i think maybe 
they would kick into gear and, and try and do something. But I think the fact that they don't either speaks to this idea that they are all genuinely like just deluded sociopaths or they know that we're we're really doomed. I think quite a lot of the I think quite a lot of the really, really rich and powerful people already know. Mm. That's why they're all building bunkers, mm. you know, and buying private islands and um, buying up all the farmland. Have you seen? <laughs> um, like, did you watch Don't Look Up? That movie. No, actually, I never saw it. Oh, it's great. It's it's a really. I mean, obviously, it's about the climate crisis. Yeah, yeah. kind of. Um, uh, but it's it's written around. You know, the metaphor for that is that this, this great big meteor is about to hit. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, And and so in this film, it's you know it's all politicized and but it's the reason I bring it up is because towards the end, all of the rich people, all of the billionaires and the presidents, all just get on a fucking spaceship and fuck off. They just yeah, bye. You know. <laughs> No fucks given. That's what's going to happen. Yes. Like, realistically. This is why we have to fix it. Because I think you're right. There is, like, there's, there's, and I was talking to, who was I talking to about this? I can't remember. Anyway, our main point was that, like, this is a slow motion car crash. And the, the amount of, of hurt and pain that, that we will have to go through. Mm-hmm. In order to reach a moment where we actually get off our fucking asses mm. and decide to fix this, where people stand up, ordinary people, enough of them, and say, like, fuck this bullshit. We mm. are done be- with being screwed. And it will take the amount of pain that we will have to go through to reach that point, the amount of, of collapse and creative destruction and economic woe um, that we will have to go through it to get there as a nation is, is disgusting. Mm. Like we, we it's, it, it will require, because you know, like what, what normally happens in, in stages of crises. And like, I don't know if you're familiar with the book, uh, the fourth turning. No, no. It's really interesting theory. Basically, it's like a scientist. It's like a, they tried to do a historical analysis based on the the idea, like the the like strong men make good times, good times make weak men, weak men make hard times, hard times make strong men. They were trying to like right. look at like like the 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 wheels of history over like hundreds of years and generations and go like, is this a thing? And they basically came to the conclusion that what tends to happen is you have like crisis followed by period of rebuilding coming together institutions are strong then slowly like people's like trust and beliefs in like ideals and values like degrades people like institutions become corrupted people become like apathetic about the system and like all to to a point where you get like this massive crisis again and then you reset and you get back to the rebuilding right okay and they like tracked like 13 gen 13 cycles of this through american history um, really interesting book. And they predicted that the next one was going to come. The next crisis moment was going to be in 2025. Oh. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, no, I, like some of like, you know, scientists have, and like historians have been like, you know, this isn't like a hundred percent accurate. You're making leaps. But like, I think the principle generally like stands in that like humans go through cycles where we like fight to defend the things that we believe in and stand up for like the values rights liberties that we have um and then you know those like the people who have to fight for those like it's really deeply instilled into them and then as like generations go on you know you be- like the, the the children and their children become more and more skeptical of the you know the institutions that were built by their their fourth you know their their ancestors and eventually you know those things lose their purpose because it's no longer the people who were driving them initially mm-hmm. and you know everything sort of like degrades to a point where something massive happens and you have to go oh fuck right you know we need to fix this and I think that's normally what happens in like on a shorter term as well within like economies. Like you get like a big like financial bubble or crash or something. And what used to happen was, we're, oh, oh, there's a big problem, right? We need to make sure that doesn't happen again. Yeah. And then what happened after 2007 is when, oh, fuck, right. That's a really bad idea. Actually, no, no, look over here. Look, it's the immigrants. Well, it's, yeah, it's it's the refugees. They're, they, they're the problem. What they like, did, <laughs> what they did sometime between the 90s and 2008 
was they figured out a way to profit from those things. They were like, oh, shit, like there's a crash. Oh, have we sold too many of these dog shit mortgages? Oh, we have. Okay. Well, in that case, we'll do X, Y, and Z. And as you said earlier, they started printing money, funneling it, and making sure that the very top of the financial tree was was catered for, right? Mm-hmm. And they build them out every time. It's interesting, though. Like, so, okay, so if we play with this idea of uh you know every so often there is a effectively a collapse uh fueled by mistrust by uh brittle systems that are not developed uh by institutions that are no longer driven by people who originally architected them and therefore had the you know the drive and the passion to maintain them and uh, and so on which are we actually talking are we talking about like on a domestic level like the uk could collapse are we talking about something as far spanning as the eu or are we going up to neoliberalism or are we going up to western liberal capitalism like um i think the decision about what to do with it comes on pretty much like a national basis right i think the collapse the crashes or the crises can be like international mm. so like the, the last the last cycle that they point to started in started after world war ii basically mm. you know everything you know everything fell apart um around the world basically you know there was like a lot of hardship that people had to go through because of the war and then after that you go right okay so we fought for these things then the, that was their like reset there okay let's rebuild um so unfortunately i hope it's not a war Mm. but like i I don't know it's the do you know what the problem is it's just like i don't see i don't see a path through to the other side that isn't through the fire Mm. i don't see a place i don't see a way to i don't see a path to prosperity that isn't riddled with hardships before it because if you're gonna be Jeremy Corbyn's manifesto and do all that, like you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to endure the, the you know, the possibility of capital flight. Mm. You're gonna have to like, you, you, if you if you're gonna like build an economy based on companies that want to be here and want to make stuff here and want to pay tax here, you're gonna have to watch the other ones die first and everyone become unemployed. Mm. You know, like it's it's it's. Or nationalize the existing yeah, ones. <laughs> yeah, or nationalize. But but then you can't nationalize everything. Well, that's you then know. we get back to the sort of devaluing of the currency, don't we? Like, what what are you yeah. going to do? Write a fucking check for like two trillion and yeah. buy out like a whole industry sector? Like, yeah. Let, let's see what that does to the markets, lads. Like, <laughs> yeah, because the because because the the labor idea had been to basically just not renew the contracts, mm. right? So that it wouldn't be like all of a sudden you had to shell out like a hundred billion. It would have been just like you know, okay, so slowly we're going to not renew but, the contract, yeah, and then phased. we're going to invest that money, and yeah, yeah. it was going to be phased. So mm. like, but 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 like I said, I just it's we have to go through. We're going to have to go through something fucking awful, I think, to get to get through to the other side. And and unfortunately, the worst part is we may not even get to another side. Mm. We may just go through a two thousand seven like you know two point mm. No lessons learned everyone gets poorer and the rich are fine in a year or two. So our two options are do something about it or get fucked again. That's a, that's a perfectly downbeat ending (laughs) to this this episode. Uh, Thank you so much to Josh Hamilton, my guest uh, for this evening. Do go and check out his podcast. It's called chatter. You can find it on the gist website and I'm sure uh, a myriad other places. Um, I'm going to be back next Wednesday for the solo show, but I'll also be back next Friday night, half past seven, same time as usual, with a guest. Um, If you're not on the Patreon yet, do consider it. Jump on patreon.com forward slash aid Thompson. All of my Patreon backers get episodes of the podcast two days ahead of everyone else. You also get access to the Discord chat. I pop in there every day. We talk shit about Tories. It's a good time. Uh, You also get first look at the tickets for the live show. So uh, myself and Danny fucking Price did a gig at 21 Soho. That was in February. Um, I'm going to be doing something at Glastonbury. Uh, Obviously, I can't, you know, doesn't matter if you go on Patreon or not. I'm not getting you Glastonbury tickets. But but I am doing another gig this time. You might. Oh, maybe. Maybe. You know, I'll see what I can do, guys. (laughs) Uh, But I'm going to be doing something like sort of 
myself uh, to celebrate the uh, the goal that we've achieved with Patreon. I styled styled my Patreon as a cult, and we've reached twenty one members, and that was one of my goals. I was like, you know what? When we hit that, and actually, it's just this this show has just tickled. It's just tickled the balls, Josh, of the top ten politics uh, charts. So nice uh so i'm feeling i'm feeling pretty good i feel like we need to celebrate that and so there's this gig i'm putting on probably late august september and tickets for that will go out to patreons first also it's going to be very culty very kool-aid there's going to be a fishbowl of kool-aid in the corner there's going to be psalms like i'm there stand-up comedic psalms like a fucked up beery sunday service it's going to be it's going to be fun uh so yeah jump on patreon.com forward slash aid thompson until next time guys keep it booge keep it strictly hashtag binfluencer and i'm out this motherfucker yo 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 this episode was powered by my patreon backers over at patreon.com forward slash aid thompson special shout outs to bowman chris david mojo sabian pingu t-rex in a top hat aaron alex and kai some of these names might not actually be the real names. Uh, Jeff, Peter, Sarah, Silent, and Ailsa. And then Anthony, Eddie, Fat Shirley, Mal, Rodri, Stuart, and Kerry. Thank you so, so much for continuing your support of the podcast. And I'm looking forward to catching up with each of you at the next London meet or the next gig. I don't know. Big doff of the cap to all of you. You give my funny boner funny boner. Cheers. Cheers.